Uh, it's Thaddeus Bucks with the Minority Wine Report in Wine in Black and White. We're at, at our go winery that took us about two hours to find. And it's all my fault, though. But uh, we're here with Just, Justin Harmon, right? From Chicago, and he's going to tell us a little bit about his background. He's a lot smarter than both of you guys, by the way. Yeah. But we'll get there. So I'm going to keep the mic in the middle of the table. And we're just going to taste through some things. Justin, tell us about how all this uh, crazy uh, wine world business began. So uh, Chicago, as you mentioned, I grew up in Oak Park, which is the first suburb west of the city. <laughs> and um, how do you know River Forest? <laughs> Played football with a guy from there, Eric Kumaro. You played with Kumaro? Yeah, he's, back in the day. I think he's the only alumni from my high school that went to. You knew uh, Kumaro? No, he was. Uh, uh, he, oh, but he no, was the he only was guy way, that yeah, went, like, went yeah, exactly. played professional he played football. Yeah. He went to uh, Ohio State and then he went to uh, NFL. I work at Rushfield Park, by the way, sometimes. Who? Oh, okay. That's uh, Harlem and Madison. I okay. stopped by there. So I like. I grew up uh, two blocks south of there. Just north of the Eisenhower. Okay, so if you guys let let, let Justin introduce himself, that would Let's be appreciated. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. I think the things haven't started in the wheels uh, are off yeah, the wagon. Well. <laughs> it's good. That mic picks up a lot of stuff. So we're gonna be it's all going to be used as blackmail someday. Um, so yeah, grew up in Chicago and grew up in Oak Park. Went to Oak Park River Forest High School and have no attachment to the wine world from family or even drinking wine in my house growing up. How I came to appreciate wine really just came to it on my own. There's no like grand mentoring story or anything like that. A uh, couple good bottles at the right time in life and it all just started coming together. I was not a huge fan of beer uh, when I was younger and so I gravitated towards wine once I realized that it was better. There were better versions and examples of it than what I had in church growing up. Um, <laughs> and so in my mid-twenties, I was uh, working for myself. Um, I lived a couple blocks north of a place called Sam's. Um, what was Sam's, Sam's Wine, wine, wine Spirits, of yeah, which yeah. is like was they, they got, the greatest uh, wine shop I, in the history. I totally agree. And Wine Watch is pretty darn good too. Yeah, but <laughs> no, no, that's where I got my first wine education is from. Starting with Sam's, taking lower level classes there, blah so blah, same. blah, wine, doing it all, all the same. Yeah. When were you doing that? Uh, that was in the mid '90s because oh, okay. I didn't have my first glass of wine until I was like 35, 36. I'm a, I'm a lot older than all you guys here, so. Um, but 60 no. for the record. Sam's is pre-Bennies, right? Sam's yeah. is pre-Bennies and then Bennies, but um, he, but that was Sam's was that was the time there. Old man Sam, man, they had a great program. Oh, it was there. awesome. Yeah, yeah it's very nice. The folks yeah. that worked on the floor were super knowledgeable. Yeah. It was about the size of a modern day Target. I don't mm -hmm. think that's accurate. Absolutely. Um, and had just an ungodly amount of inventory, and the folks there were super knowledgeable, and I just fell in love with not only drinking wine, but the culture behind it and uh, reading books about it and the culture surrounding it, the history, so on and so forth. And so I got super into it um, from uh, the consumer side and I started to get curious about how wine was made. So I started buying some books from UC Davis um, 
through their, their textbooks, start reading them, looking at them at home. My background's in chemistry from an educational standpoint, so it was relatively, I knew the language, so to speak, reading these books, and I just kept getting deeper and deeper into wine, wanted to know what it was all about, so I started to try making some in my parents' basement. Okay, so give us some reference in date-wise. So this would have been uh, early, late, super late 90s, like 99 through 04 we're talking about. Are you right? still in Chicago? Yes, living in Chicago okay. full-time. Okay. No, not even a, a glimmer of an idea that I would someday live out here. Okay. Um, pipe dream, maybe, but no intentions for it or anything like that. So <clears throat> really into wine as a consumer, start tinkering around with home winemaking. Uh, started with a concentrate kit, which that was Cabernet Sauvignon that turned out relatively brutal. Um, Where did the kit come from? So, you know, it was back, so let's say, let's say it was 2002, okay? okay? Yeah. You know, nowadays there are brew shops on every corner because everyone's yes. brewing their own beer and yeah, everyone's course. super yeah. stoked about, you know, IPAs and whatever. And so, Brew shops and wine shops saw the same equipment. There were three in the entire Chicagoland metropolitan area at that time. And I remember driving to the far south side to buy uh, my first... Cicero. Like, no, no, far south side. Cicero West. Um, <laughs> This yeah, guy, I yeah. tell you, man. In the far south, you don't really go that way these days. <laughs> Chicago Heights. You're going to get your ass shot if the you heights? go. No, you don't go far south or far west these days. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe it would be considered northern Champagne. Right? <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. You don't go down that way these days. Um, yeah, so drive to Timbuktu to get this fermentation kit. It's Cabernet Sauvignon Concentrate. And, man, any folks that make good wine from this stuff are geniuses. Or magicians at <laughs> least, and you know, adding powdered tannins, adding everything under the sun to try to make the stuff palatable, still didn't work. Um, so, sort of got my first taste of making wine and experiencing fermentation for the first time is pretty wild to see this stuff just all of a sudden start bubbling and kicking off all the fermentation aromas and the CO2. It is pretty wild and uh, intoxicating. Then I'm done, but uh. That didn't really satisfy my desire to understand how wine was made. So I found this place out here based in Napa Valley called Brem Vineyards. I'm not sure if they still exist or not, but they would go around and pick up excess inventory from uh, different vineyards. They would destem the fruit, meaning take the grapes off the stems, flash freeze it with nitrogen, and then rail cart across the country in the middle of the winter. And I remember driving out to LaGrange like three <laughs> days before uh, before Christmas in a whiteout blizzard to pick up my five gallon pails of frozen. grapes from frozen grapes. <clears throat> yeah frozen grapes and it was this guy uh, yeah. this I had, I had five five gallon uh, pails of grapes and you know, this guy actually received all of them for the Chicago community and just stored them on his back porch mm -hmm. his screened in back porch in Lagrange and uh, picked my pails up and proceeded to ferment them in garbage cans in my what, parents what kind of grapes were they it was uh, actually Syrah Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon. I think it was two each of Cab and Syrah and one Merlot. And I fermented the varieties separate from each other. Um, and that was pretty wild, like working with the raw materials for the first time, pitching yeast. Uh, my dad calls me one morning. I was living down near DePaul and uh, 
calls me one morning. He's like, what the hell are you doing in my basement? I had no no experience, obviously, but no like concept of what fermentation actually was. And the amount of CO2 that's yeah, That's created, released, yeah, exactly. And yeah. my dad said he opened the door yeah. and just got, like, got hit in the face with it. And the first time you stick your head in a fermentation bin to smell it, and if you're not, if someone doesn't prep you for it and say, you know, sneak up on it, don't just get in there. It'll knock you off a ladder if you're not careful. Yeah. So the CO2 will take you out. <laughs> and uh, yeah. so I go, I go down and thank God my parents didn't have like pets living down there. They wouldn't have made it through the night. <laughs> so I end up uh, like jerry rigging hefty bags to the dryer vent to clear the CO2 out during the fermentation and uh, did mallow and uh, pressed it through nylon bags, stored it in carboys. And that was, that was winter 2004 into 2005. And that was an awesome experience for me. I loved it. I was like, this is so cool. And I got the idea to get in touch with winemakers on an internet wine board. And um, you guys good on juice? Okay. And I reached out to some folks, said, hey, I would love to come see the process during harvest, see how the sausage is made. And I came out here for one day in, 2000, in October of 2005 and helped folks who were just getting their brand off the ground sort grapes for one day. Sorting grapes, eating lunch, drinking wine out of magnums. Mm. It was a blast. Flew home the next day. I was like, holy shit, that was incredible. Um, also, being out here in October, oh, glorious. Yeah, good time. Absolutely glorious. Stayed in touch with those folks, um, and then the next mm. year came out and worked the entire Harvest Forum. Just all still living in Chicago. And then the next year, 07, did it all again, and at the end of the 2007 Harvest, I bought my first ton of grapes, it was this place, and uh, they let me make some wine here, I made wine under someone else's bond, and I, there was a winemaker who had been in the business for quite a while at the time, he's like, how much wine are you making? 50 cases, and he's like, you know, you could probably drink 50 cases, but why don't you think about getting licensed up with the government in case you want to sell it? Mm -hmm. And the at that point, the idea was to Potentially start a winery, start a wine brand, and that was the impetus. That's what got the ball rolling. And uh, Argo was founded in 2007 on the back of one ton of Syrah. <laughs> and uh, 2008 came back out here, added a little bit of Chardonnay. Through the 2010 vintage, it was, I was making very, very, very small amounts of wine, and. Uh, 2011 ramped things up a little bit. The timing was such that um, I was writing software for options traders on the CBOE. And um, still smart. Yeah, yeah, way smart. End of, end of, well, yeah. I don't know. The money those guys were making compared to me, I think I was doing the wrong part. Of the whole thing. How do you, I guess, I would take it your parents helped finance your ambitions. No. <laughs> no, it's it not a cheap business no, to get into. No, it's incredibly expensive yeah. and um, like prohibitively expensive. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But started very, very small. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and just grew very slowly over in those initial years. Okay. Got some really good press with uh, the 2009 vintage, which 
got me in touch with my first distribution partners. One a broker here in San Francisco, the other Oklahoma. Of all places, I had never set foot in the state of Oklahoma prior to selling wine. Oh, uh, it's still one of my favorite places. Oh, to really? Go to. Okay. Man, Tulsa, Oklahoma is awesome. I love Tulsa. Great town. Great town. And Oklahoma City is pretty great too. Yeah, Don't get me wrong. Yeah, you know everybody's got Which their one something. You do? This one right here. Yeah. Yeah. And so you would have had maybe the 2018 version of this I down, think I did, yeah. down in Florida. Yeah. yeah. So this is the 19. And so. Uh, yeah, started very small and being able to start selling the wine is what, so 2010, the downturn of 08, at the very end of 08, really destroyed what I was doing. Those guys make their money on volume and there was no volume, no one was trading anything for years after 2008. So they went, they sort of folded up shop, went in a different direction and the timing was such that I said to myself, well, if I'm ever going to do this now's the time and it just all worked out so uh, moved out here full-time threw myself all in and uh, it's been it was a great decision but man talking about the expense of doing this and you got to have the discipline to be poor for a very long time if you want to be a winemaker so uh, <laughs> so yeah now it's uh, we're up to 3,000 cases. We'll make 3,000 cases this year, and uh, it's going it's going well. Okay, so the first wine we had is Chardonnay. So the first wine we Talk had was Chardonnay, Simpatico Ranch. Mm -hmm. This is the oldest, these are the oldest vines I work with. They were planted in the 70s, 40-year-old vineyard. It's also the longest running um, contractual relationship I have with a ranch. I started making wine from Simpatico in 2009. Okay. It's back when they were only 30 years old. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so uh, 2000, this is 2019, this is the 10th vintage of this. This is one of my favorite uh, vineyards, Chardonnay vineyards in Sonoma County. It's probably the coldest Chardonnay vineyard in Sonoma County. So we're on the vine for a really long time. We get great flavor accumulation on the vine. Absolutely textbook perfect chemistry, which allows us to really take a lot of chances in making the wine and we uh, throw the winemaking book at this wine, so to speak, taking a lot of our cues from the great wines from Merceau mm -hmm. and uh, the great Napa winemaker, John Kongsgaard, and he and Peter Newton brought a lot of these techniques over to, over to California in the 90s when he was at Newton. And that's the manner in which this wine is made. So his Chardonnay only costs his hat that high end is five hundred dollars. There's you such ever a Kunz, thing. You ever had Kunzgar? No. Kunzgar? Mm -hmm. Kunzgar? You never no. had that? Nope. Not five hundred dollars bottle. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The less expensive Continue. stuff is quite yeah, good as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Make one. Um, and so interesting story. I loved John's wine so much. Mm -hmm. and prior to the 2010 vintage, I gave him a call. And I said, I'm on your list. I'm, I've got this new brand over in Sonoma, starting to make wines, love your Chardonnays. Would love to come chat with you. He's like, come on up. They're up on Atlas Peak. And he said, come on up. I will uh, I'll answer any question you ask me. And I went and he gave me about 90 minutes and it was pretty awesome. Um, and so yeah, this Simpatico Ranch has become a pretty important 
part of our portfolio. Maybe you said it's a little rinse or dump button. Mm -hmm. right the there, guy that owns this, I'd have to peel him off the scene. Oh, yeah, totally awesome. Let me go oh, get it. Yeah. Let me go get it. He should have had a little rinse because you turned the man's Charmaine <laughs> into, into a, a rosé. No, it's a... I'm working with these the guys. The Philistines, man. This is not a perfect project right now. You mix whites and reds all the time. I know, but I rinse the glass out and I drink my rinse. I'll put a little bit in there, I'll drink my rinse, and then drink, then pour oh, some put too much in it. So my rinse is too big, is what you're saying. He's from rural Illinois, which kind of too. That's right. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> what am I going to do with He's from Champaign-Urbana. <laughs> I'm just trying to get come down from that drive I just went through, because that was, that was rough. That was a, at least you'll know your way back there if you have to go back. I have back. no idea where yeah, I am. Yeah, when we got off the highway, we saw the AC hotel. We're like, damn, my hotel is right there. <laughs> I'm like, I had, I had no idea where I lived. This is weird. I don't know. 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 I don't I like the Chardonnay as much as I did. Uh, I did too, even, even with my okay, pinch so, of So uh, this Pino is the beauty when you come to Wine Watch in Fort Lauderdale. You get to try the best juice. This that's Coons, how you see Coons Guard, they, they came he from. made, he, his top of line Chardonnay sells for $500 a bar. Who's this guy? Coons, Coons. like K-O-O-N yeah. Guard. It's like an English castle. Yeah, yeah. English oh, I'll show you. I'll show you a picture of it. I have it on my phone. Because he makes a Syrah. He makes a Syrah, and he makes a Cabernet, and they're all between three fifty and four hundred dollars a bottle. A five hundred dollars Chardonnay. Is that yeah. impossible? Am I, am I right? Am I right about that, Justin? His Chardonnay. What are you talking about? From, from John Kongsgaard. I don't think it's quite five, but it might be three. Yeah, well, a place at Wine White sells it for five hundred. So okay. Okay. There's retail price, and then with some of these cult wines, yeah. the supply is so short. Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. That exactly. the demand is, yeah. and you yeah. see resale values of 2x, 3x. But but is it worth that much? Just help. On a side note, before Let you get second the story, I know wine wash. Do you just cold call them and say, hey, I'm Justin, I'm with Argo. Love you to try my stuff. Who's who's the guy? No, that runs Justin. The show came, how, how uh, that's Andrew. Andrew Lapasson. I don't think Andrew takes cold. No, Andrew. <laughs> he, comes, he comes in with his distributor. Yeah. Distributor kind of sets it all up. Yeah, they yeah. put it together. I was just curious. Hello. Yeah. So this bro. is the owner of the place, Justin Latanzi. Hey, he's, he's the one that owns all the round tanks. Yeah. You came up with a great yeah, heavy duty. He would like yeah. a, like a twenty percent reduction in whatever he pays. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> well, they, they just came here. from Rodney Strong. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude. Uh -huh. Let me show you some tanks you no, should buy no. here. <laughs> a lot oh. of tank education oh, over at Rodney God. Strong. Oh, these days. Apps. You, Actually, you, we are a little they, podcast. They're, they're like, can you slow down? Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. You gotta watch the podcast. Yeah. Inside and but us. anyway, good meeting you. Yeah. Good meeting yeah. you. Take care, Justin. You know, you were talking about like this. <clears throat> this industry is like financially prohibitive to Tough, get into. Yeah. Uh, I think it was the Carter administration signed into law in the late 70s that you no longer had to own your own building to have a winery. Mm. It used to be you had to own a drain. Own a drain? A drain. A drain in the ground. Uh -huh. so, a, so you had to own a facility, a building. Yeah. To get, mm -hmm. That's why there were such few wineries in California for so long. 
Oh, wow. And it was, whatever that act was, it allowed the boutique wine industry and mm. the uh, and the microbrewery industry to oh, just wow. explode. Yeah. And so it's called an alternating proprietorship. So he has a he has a grid on his wall. Every client owns a square of this place. Mm -hmm. And then we all share it. We, we alternate oh, the proprietorship. Okay. So that allows someone like me, when I'm 31 years old, to come in here and just buy. That's what you're right now? I was. When you were, okay. In 07. And, uh, oh, 07, okay. <laughs> I'm going to have to work yeah, with you, man. Uh, Come on, man. That's impressive. I'm like, 31. You look 40. So all I had to buy was... <laughs> so I'm doing pretty good for myself. Yeah, you're good. You're doing good. Hey, Justin, I can, I can excuse these guys. <laughs> it's your show. <laughs> but, uh... And so... Uh, yeah, I, all I had to pay for was the fruit, which I got a great deal on because it was the end of the harvest and I had gotten to know the vineyard owner and they let me make the wine here for a great deal as well. And I mean, it was, it just, it was fantastic. Okay, and, so I had to keep this somewhat focused. The Chardonnay we had, oh, uh, yeah. what, what type of retail are we talking on in Chardonnay? So this is 65 bucks. 65 um, bucks, okay. And so this wine was put on the map for me um, Wine Advocate gave it gave the 14 a really nice score, 94 whatever. Okay. 94 plus. And the 15 they gave it a 95 plus, and it was one of the coolest reviews I've ever read, let alone received. Period. From Parker. Yeah. And the reviewer was okay. ecstatic for it. And then the 18 just got a 96, and wow, nice. so it's wow. uh, pretty well sought after at this point. Got a great reputation, and rightfully so. I think it's some of the best. So it depends on the year. We just uh, the 2021, which is now all in barrel. Will mm -hmm. well, it depends because we have the potential to make about 250 cases okay. of it. And at when it comes time to put it in bottle, we'll taste through all the barrels. We'll see if they all merit being put into a vineyard designate, or if we'll reallocate some to our entry level Appalachian wine. Okay. 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 Make sense? Makes sense. Uh, yeah. Did you were you able to make any in 2020? Chardonnay, yeah. The whites yeah. are pretty much fine in 2020. Okay. Nothing's in bottle yet, though. Uh -huh. um, I will make. I picked zero Napa Cabernet. Yeah, which I, I is about a third of the portfolio. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. a bummer. Um, and then we have some Syrah and Grenache in barrel. That's to be determined. Okay. Good. But we're pretty excited about the Pinots and we're Let's excited about, about the Chardonnay. I think this is fantastic. <clears throat> I'm sure I had it before. Bath, bastard Tongue. Bastard Tongue. So early on, I was sort of a gypsy uh, vintner in that I would, I really didn't work with the same vineyard twice in a row very often early on because I could sort of catch as catch can. No one knew who I was. There were a lot less grapes planted at the time, mm -hmm. particularly Pinot Noir. Um, the demand far outpaced the supply for Sonoma County Pinot. You want to splash more? I, I, I think I must have some. Yeah. All right. <laughs> you know, I'll pour him. Yeah, he, he <laughs> I ran out. I'm like, my blood. That's a pinch. And so I started making Pinot in 09. We're going right? to do the cap. That's the cap? Yeah. 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 We started doing uh, Pinot in 09. 2011 was the first bastard tongue, so the 09 Pinot and the 10 Pinot were two different names. One, 09 was Over the Moon, 2010 was The Vagrant, 
2011 was the bastard tongue. I made two pinots in 2011. Um, I'm sorry, three. But so there were these proprietary names each year, and this was such a runaway success. I had distributors call me, and they're like, "You're not going to do that damn fool thing where you retire a name after one usage, are you?" And I was like, "Well, what do you mean?" They're like, "People love the bastard tongue. They love the name. The wine was awesome." Um, I wanted to increase my Pinot production in 2011, so I started knocking on every door available, and what I found was a lot of vineyards whose names you know well uh, have fruit available. They just don't make it public that they have fruit oh, available. Wow. Okay. They charge you an exorbitant amount of money for the fruit, and then uh, they tell you you can't use their name because they, they have a brand. They have a brand attached. Sonoma, or are you talking about... I'm talking, I've only ever bought Sonoma Pinot Noir. Um, so there were these two vineyards I worked with in 2011, not allowed to use their name because they also have brands. So I have these three barrels of truly wonderful Pinot Noir, one from one vineyard, two from another, and I couldn't vineyard designate them, blended them together, absolutely fantastic. And I've been doing some research on the name Argo, which is a French word. As we pointed out earlier. Not to be confused with Argot. <laughs> In Spanish, that's what they call it. But um, it's one of those words that doesn't have a direct translation into English. And what it is, is it's a shared language that develops amongst a small group of people. And it's born out of shared interests, uh, common history, and intimacy, essentially. So, like, families all have their own Argo. They speak to each other in a way that just isn't really understood outside of that intimacy. Uh, spouses have that. Friends from high school have that, so on and so forth. So I found this book that was talking about Argo, and in the preface, this book was printed in the late 1800s, it said, Argo is but a bastard tongue grafted on the mother stem. And so at the time I was doing all these proprietary names, I put that in my pocket, and I'm like, someday I'll do a bastard tongue with wine. 2011 Pinot, those three barrels from two different vineyards, perfect. And uh, the rest is history. It's gotten fantastic notices from the press. It has a great following amongst our customer base. And uh, we just released the 2019 in August. As a matter of fact, folks just started receiving theirs in the past couple weeks of the 2019s. And there uh, is wine club direct to consumer. Correct. Yeah. I don't think. Is that I'm, most of your business? No, it's uh, about a third. Okay. Because maybe you don't, maybe you don't no, really it's have a little a, more than a third. But because yeah. you don't really you don't really have a tasting room with. I have zero tasting room. No, so I have the, no employees. The other two no thirds yeah, yeah. go to distributor. Like I go down to Wine Watch and yeah. go yeah, down yeah, to Florida yeah. and pour. I don't know if you guys brought this one in. I remember you brought one of the cabs in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is pretty highly allocated. Nice. I I send my allocations to my distributors. I'm like. You can take it now. If you don't take it now, there's no guarantee your remainder will and be left. And it sells what's, out what's every year. This is 85. 85. And so the cool thing about this wine, um, it's never the same wine twice, even though it does have a mother wine to it, which is one of those original vineyards from yeah, we'll back in 2011. We'll, we'll talk about that later. You can't rebuild that. Okay, yeah. But, no, but listen. And so vineyards go in and out of yeah. the the blend here and it's it's not necessarily a best barrel blend every year but I have an idea of what the bastard tongue is and I want it to be not only big and rich and fruity but I also want it to have that underlying earth element and uh, we've been 
we've really locked into a formula and it's been working for us. That's very, very nice. Let's, um, let's try to, what are we at? The, what are we at the so we've got a brand new cab. The pinch. Only reason. The final taste. Sure thing. Right, you're going to get into all the words and the amount of the pores and all that kind of stuff. What, what is like, the other one? Scotch. Pinch? You get a finger. One finger? Finger. Yeah. <laughs> one finger. Right. That's one finger. You've got to get rid of it. So this is a brand new bottling for us. These, the Cabernets were, the 2019 Cabernets were re released Oakville. last week. And so this is the 1555 Oakville, which comes from a vineyard called Bonnie's Vineyard uh, on the north side of Oakville. Bonnie's Vineyard is a vineyard that helped make Silver Oak quite famous in the yeah. late 80s. Um, they used to, they do two bottlings now. They're Alexander Valley and they're Napa. They used to do a third called the Bonnie's Vineyard. It's the only vineyard designate they've ever done. Bonnie is the wife of one of the founders, the original winemaker there. And uh, it really, smells good. they stopped making it because they were so sick of people trying to get the Bonnie's Vineyard in lieu of the, their two main flagship oh, bottlings. Yeah. They were like, this isn't worth the headache. So the Meyer family, Justin Meyer was the founder and original winemaker of Silver Oak. Um, the Meyer family still owns the vineyard. Bonnie, I believe, still lives there. And uh, I crossed paths with Matt Meyers, Justin Meyers' son, a couple years ago. Tried to get fruit from him in 18. It didn't work out, but he's like, we'll take care of you in 19. And uh, we made this in 19 for the first time. And to be, Napa is super cool in that it has all these historical vineyards. And Bonnie's one of them. And to be in one of the historical plots. And, uh, over in Napa is, is really cool. Not to mention Oakville is, uh, you know, the Tenderloin Cabernet for Oakville and Rutherford. Are. How do you as a small producer get into the Bonnie? It's hard. No, it's, that's a, yeah, for sure. It's, I'm glad you asked that. I was talking to someone about this just last week and it's, you know, everything is about relationships in this business. So much of this is about relationships. And like I said, I crossed paths with Matt Myers. We tried to make something work in 18. It didn't, it didn't work out for various reasons. So 19, he called me up and he was like, I'm really impressed with what you've done so far, with the notices you've been getting. We'd love to have you in the vineyard this year. Uh, so in 21, in 20, we didn't pick any of the fruit because of the fires. That was a bummer. But, uh, I've moved, this was from a single block in, in 2019. 21, I've moved into a second block, so we doubled the amount of fruit we're taking from Bonnie's and... Uh, is Bonnie's on the bottle? They they no, asked that I not put not it on, on the, the bottle, bottle because... I was just curious, they could sell their grapes to anybody, but they put it in shit wine and it says Bonnie's on it, it's still shit. They, Therefore, Bonnie's is shit. Versus <laughs> selling you, if you could put good juice behind it and you put the name on it then... But Bonnie, they wouldn't sell it to anybody that's gonna make shit wine. I'm saying they can sell to anybody. They don't know what the end product is. Yeah, well, they, they're going to know because they're not going to sell it. Just like Andy Beckstock. I know what you're saying. Andy Be yeah, I know what he's saying, too, but Andy Beckstock is they, a they, pimp. They go to show it no, no, to Rodney Strong. Strong. No, they, they would never sell it to Rodney Strong. No, but, no, but, they, but, no, but they're not, they don't have those type of relationships. You come into this relationship, they know you're going to make a really great one. Based on what you've done or, or that lease is going to be terminated quickly. There's another piece of the puzzle in that so Napa Cabernet grapes 
have gotten so expensive. expensive. Yeah. So expensive. That's why the bottles are so expensive. Yeah. If you're making a crap wine, you're also not going to be able to pay your bills in pretty short order. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean I think <laughs> it's like it's worth a billion dollars. That's like, true. I want to buy your body crepe. They say, who the fuck are you? What are you going to make? Versus they say, I'd rather sell it to Justin. He's making good shit with our grapes. And he's going to you know, propel our name or probably. They're vetting. Name, they are vetting the I know, people. But I'm, I'm trying to, to, I'm trying to understand what's your, what's your point. No, he doesn't. The what's point is point? that Bonnie Vineyard is a great vineyard. Well, we already he's know saying, that, so what's your point? He's saying the so owners why, why recognize... why are all the rich people buying all their grapes in Bonnie Vineyard? Because they can, they can afford to pay it. Well, they Bonnie Vineyard's only got... Well, I, I, I would think that they only have so many eight grapes to right. sell. It anyway. is relatively but small. But they have to sell the grapes to somebody. Yeah. But, but somebody probably already have long-term leases on these grapes, so they only have so much to sell. The family themselves make a Bonnie's Vineyard bottle. Yeah, they had the to Meyer, sell Meyer's Justin family grapes. wines. Yeah, uh -huh. they had to sell Justin grapes. Yeah, and he paid some amount of money for the grapes. Yeah. What if I paid three times the amount of money? Would they sell it to me? Oh, no, yeah, they wouldn't. Well, you know what? That, and, 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 Andy Beckstar for one. He would or wouldn't? He might, but but if he knew you was a shit, you wasn't a good winemaker. You couldn't get it. You couldn't well, get backstop for great. Depends. That's he didn't put his name on the label. Oh, he's not that, gonna let it. Well, question. that's right. He that's might right. not let the first couple you're vintages. Juice, yeah, hey, hey, Mike. Here's the key: the first couple vintages, you can't put the name on the label. And then let's good. figure out how good it is. It exactly. That's what works. That's why he has he has you got 15, a rough, rough crowd here. He has fifteen. The general question is how can a smaller producer get grapes from grapes from such a from quality vineyard right. versus the other because thousand producers? You know what he just said is about building relationships. That's what he said, and I think that's the key to it Okay, so your first year and this was nineteen? That's correct. This is the first time I've ever done a this, vineyard this designated. It's a very nice wine. I don't think I've had it before. Yeah, it's, nice. uh, it's very nice. What's the price point on this? 150. 150. Of course. It's got some time too. I mean, you, you yeah. Definitely but you know what I you know what I like about this wine? 100 percent. Cabernet. 100. Yeah. yeah. I think That's this wine has. Told you no PV in this bar. But, <laughs> but I think this wine. Thank you. But I think this wine has really good acidity, man. At, at, at the midpoint, and I think it's it, 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 that equates. That. I think it's got a long life so, for it, man. So this is on the yeah. This is on their their property. Okay. Okay. Right. So where is Bonnie? Where is Bonnie? Yeah, I know exactly. it's on twenty nine. Which Woodfield. side of the road is it on? So it's, towards Silverado it's in between Silverado and 29. Oh, so it's on right the, next oh, to right next that, to the Napa that, River. Then that's, that's, oh, okay. Then that's east. That's what Silverado yeah, east. east. That's east, east. right there. So you so is it next to like Peju? So it's just north Close of Groff. Oh, oh Roth north is north. Nice. Yeah, yeah. You can yeah, use the same driveway. Yeah, I got you. Okay, I got you. Okay. Roth is because Peju is Peju's further down. That's on the Napa side. More of the yeah, it's it's away from Silverado Trail. Oh, cool. The opposite yeah. side. No, yeah, it's but, very nice. Yeah, but Groth is right up from the grocery store. Groth's JCB. across the street from it's right up, But Groth is right up from JCB. Groth's right across from uh, Silverado. It's in Biofield Groceries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The whole thing ain't been like three miles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's right, it's right by JCB. Oakville Crossing, I think, is the right one. Anyway, that's right. No, it's. It's very nice. I don't know if it's a 19 count. No, it's like yeah. 10 is bringing well, 19 is going to be beautiful, but 20 is going to be okay, so, and then 21 is going to be. It's looking uh, like it's a really good. So, so 20, 20 was wiped out by the fire. Yeah. Do you think it's a lot of smoke tank? 
I just think a lot of people didn't pick grapes. Yeah. Okay, so, okay, yeah, okay. Okay. just hold up. So if you don't pick grapes, is there some insurance policy that you can get some money back if you don't? Yeah. So they just made a business decision. Correct. Okay, that's what I needed to know. And there was some of that over here in Sonoma. I don't think Sonoma farmers are as covered as Napa, it seems like. And part of that's just because just the price of the commodity is so high. Of course, yeah. yeah. Well, that's just really nice. I mean, it's got a few years to sit down and grow. I'm very excited about I'm very, uh, yeah. moving forward with this vineyard, this property. Following the evolution of these wines in the cellar, I'm, I'm in love with the way this so, works. So how much okay. are, you, are you selling that one? One fifty. Yeah. So um, okay, just before we end the interview, we went a little longer because of these two other extra <laughs> oh, oh, characters actually, that's been a part of this. Okay. How, how do you how do you best uh, you you're encouraged to ask encouraged questions exactly? How do you best describe the uh, two, 2019 Argo uh, Sauvignon Blanc from you can say Bonnie. I can so, say it, yes. Uh, Cabernet, no, I said Cabernet Sauvignon. I heard Blanc. I might have said Blanc, but yeah, I said Cabernet Sauvignon uh, from the Bonnie Vineyard in Napa Valley. Audience, how do you best describe this, Justin? So I think it's classic in its Cabernet character. Um, it's got that great fruit character of deep, dark black currants. It's got the classic herbal notes of Cabernet as well, sort of that dried rosemary, bay leaf thing going on as a complexity. The tannins are beautifully polished. We work really hard yes. on tannins. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Um, I make wines, very, I, I very firmly believe that a wine should be enjoyable at every step of its life until eventually all wine will fade into yeah. oblivion, but... Um, Vinegar. <laughs> Out of the gates in the first year, it should be delicious, and ten years later, it should be delicious. And qualifying which one's better, I don't. That's for the end user. Um, I just think, yeah, it's it should be delicious now. It should be delicious then. All right, bro. Thank you. We're with Justin and my two other guys that I don't know how they got here. Justin Harmon from Argo Vineyards here in you in you in Santa Rosa. Santa Rosa, even though we thought you were in. Sonoma Mountain. <laughs> Sonoma Mountain. But anyway, great interview, and uh, I'll post this soon. Cheers, bro, Thanks. to good juice. Thanks, yes. Guys.